0: This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. me. hello and welcome back to the Matriarch Movement podcast. I am your host, Shayla Olette Stonechild, and I've been waiting very patiently to release today's episode with Christy Belcourt. I don't know about you, but I've been a fan of Christy's ever since I was a young girl. She is a Métis visual artist, author, and activist from Scarborough, Ontario, and she's the daughter of national Métis rights activist Tony Belcourt, and she's best known for her acrylic paintings, which depict floral patterns inspired by Métis and First Nations historical beadwork art. Belcourt's work often focuses on questions around identity, culture, place, and divisions within communities. You can see her work across Canada, and you can also see it in permanent collections of the National Gallery of Canada the Thunder Bay Art Gallery, the Canadian Museum of Civilization, First Peoples Hall, and not to mention that she's won awards from the Canada Council for the Arts, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Métis Nation of Ontario. So we talk about her Métis identity, what it means to reclaim traditional art in a modern day sense, what it means to have relations to the world around you, and also to the language. So I hope you feel inspired after today's conversation. Hi, hi. have a blessed day y'all. I'm very excited to have Christy Belcourt here with me today. Christy, hi, hi. Thank you so much for being here. If you just want to introduce yourself, maybe where you're from, thank you.
1: Hi, hi. Uh, Christy Belcourt, Nitzike Sun, Mantu saka egan Mocinia, Nimki Ojebukong, egua Espanola, Ontario, Megwatch New Um, so I am from a community called Lac-Saint-Anne in Alberta. Uh, the original place name was manitou saupe so Spirit Lake. And I am currently living in uh, Espanola, Ontario and nimki
0: and how has this past year been for you? I feel like 2021 has been, um, well, 2020 was a big shift too, but 2021, we're just getting past Indigenous History Month. I know there's a lot going on collectively within our communities. So how have you been uh, despite everything?
1: I think um, I, it feels it feels like a very strange time, you know, to be alive. Like, it feels like... Um, you know i i'm by by nature a very positive and like always see the glass half full person uh but it, but then at the same time i have a real healthy sense of like <laughs> fear and skepticism about the future mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think that that's i think that's really what's uh you know we're going through like as you mentioned you know right now currently um the um i guess finding the remains of thousands upon thousands of children. We've only at this point, uh, what there's only been six, I think, residential mm-hmm. schools that have um, done the ground searches. Many more to come. There was over thirteen hundred residential and day schools in mm-hmm. in Canada. So that that this is a lot that we're going to have to bear witness to, and mm-hmm. and and bear the grief of. So there's that and then there's like the ocean on fire.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. You know right? like which
1: looks like the worst kind of like hell on earth we could possibly imagine and then they're they're cutting down old growth forests and not seeing the connection between the two. So there's like the like the, like there's so much there's so much like grief for our relatives, you know, of all kinds. And then at the same time uh, people young people are kicking ass, you know they're they're uh, taking actions. they're um the artwork that people are creating is out of this world. the storytelling, the technology that we have at, at, uh, at our advantage to be able to share our our works with e- even just the earrings are getting over the top on like uh, like <laughs> completely um like amazing. Hey, that reminds me of this one time, this story that uh, Sherry Farrell Reset told me that, she said that when metis people at uh, at the point of 1885 right we were we fought in batash we fought against the canadian government we took up arms against the canadian government and uh, there was a lot of grief and and loss at that time um and what happened was the beadwork though was even though the churches were getting super heavy with their um they're like oppression and control. And at the same time, we're like losing the battle over our lands and losing lives over our lands. And then, but, but the beadwork got more expressive. It mm. got more colorful. It got more dense. And I sort of see like the way that we are celebrating our life. You know, celebrating mm-hmm. the joy that we have. Our all, all of our ribbon skirts are getting like I don't think there'll be any fabric <laughs> left anymore. Everybody, it'll just be pure pure ribbons pretty soon from head to toe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, I feel that I'm like I my ribbon skirt is just across the room right now but I love how you put that into like two polarities like yes there's all this grief and it's mourning and it's like we don't know wh- what the future holds but at the same time it's like catalyzing us to become more in our power and to use that energy that anger or whatever we're feeling to uh, birth something new and to whether that's earrings or whether that's a ribbon skirt or whether that's, like, taking action or whether that's speaking in parliament, I feel like there has been, like, a collective uprising in different ways for whatever you do as a person. So I like how you created the two polarities, because it does seem very, like, dark and bleak, and some days I'm, like, questioning my own existence, but then I realize, like, I'm not in this alone. Like, we're all in this together. And so I'm curious to know, like, when you feel completely, like, overwhelmed or lethargic or just unmotivated how do you reclaim your power what are the tools that you use
1: well one of the things that uh, is really helpful is stopping social media getting off completely mm. getting off just delete all the apps off your phone and mm. just and and just it it it's really an unnerving thing to feel like you're disconnected from the world but you're not because there's the minute you step your your feet outside on the ground um uh, you know you're on on uh, you're on mother earth this is the very mm-hmm. the, we are a part of mother earth we are not separate we're not like we're not like these little uh invading ants that are on the plant you know we we are we we are part of the whole breathing alive mm-hmm. you know existence of mother earth we're not separate from it. We're all connected to everything. And so mm-hmm. Mother Earth gives us our energy, our power, our strength. So when we, when we find ourselves feeling really, when I find myself feeling like overwhelmed by some of the news, mm-hmm. um, I, I have to disconnect. And then connect. So I unplug that, but I plug back in yeah. to Mother Earth, and then that is what gives me the re- remembrances. I remember all of the the life that comes mm-hmm. from the earth. I remember all of the life that's still here. You know, I remember all of the things that that are good in this world. And there are, there is good in this world. You know, there is good. There's good among humans, but there's also good among other species. There's good everywhere. And, and it's, it's to kind of focus back on that, give yourself a break because social media sucks the creativity out of you. Yeah, You, you can't, you, there's no new thoughts that can come. It's, it's like an endless watching a 24 hours news, news, uh, program. There, it, it, all it does is does the thinking for you mm-hmm. and it's pure entertainment, the whole thing. So it, it, there's no, the creativity comes from shutting off.
0: Totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. I, um, I can relate to that because I feel like now social media has really grown and so has the marketing and so has like influencing and all these other avenues within social media and I feel sometimes pressured to abide by these colonial timelines to like, I constantly need to be creating, I constantly need to stay relevant, and then it's like wait like what am I doing this for like what is the intention behind this is it for myself or is it really for the collective and so I like how you bring up to like constantly you're not disconnecting you're reconnecting to life itself and in return that's how you get your creativity back and so as an artist I'm curious to know like what is your process before making a piece of art or before dreaming it into existence what does your process look like behind uh your artwork
1: Mm, like i uh, so it's mostly just i i don't know how ever to describe uh it in terms that sound exciting because <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's not it's just this really like i keep paint play- painting plants right and fish and water and you know i keep doing this it's i think it's just for me that i do it <laughs> you know it's not for anybody else But it's this constant sort of just my love. I am in awe of the beauty of the earth. Like, you know, you go sit down with a plant and you just take a look at how that plant grows. And you feel like, you know, you know you're you're equal to that plant or that Mm. butterfly or that whatever. Like, I was saying to my friend Isaac the other day, I'm like, you know, uh, bees are so powerful. Did you know that bees will only can will make one teaspoon of honey? in their entire lifetime, and they live between 50 and 60 days, and wow. what they produce is a teaspoon of honey, and I will never in my life, in all my years, produce one teaspoon of honey. <laughs> that's how powerful they are, you know, so it's like to, it's like to look at everything as being our equals, and mm. when we do that, it rejuvenates us in a way, and that's where the inspiration comes from. It's just from this pure love, and I just, I paint, and I want people just to feel love Mm -hmm. for this earth and to feel love for every species on this earth and to see that the that the waters have a right to exist on their own that the bears have a right to exist in their territories that the trees have a right to stand Mm -hmm. you know that and and if we see mother earth as that then we're not going to harm harm it Mm -hmm. and then we you know we will not continue along these destructive practices what we need is a revolt a global revolt against corporate interests because Mm. corporations governments are too weak ass right now they're not doing anything and so corporations are just full they're like they're like this um you know they're just like munch 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 Mm. munch all Mm -hmm. over the planet and they don't give you know they don't give a shit who gets in their way, who dies, who suffers, whether it's animals or whether it's humans. They don't care what mess they leave behind, you know. And and people are kind of waking up to this now. There's more mainstream acceptance of the fact that there's a connection between you know clear cutting old growth forests and climate change than there ever was. And I'm I just hope that it leads to this sort of like revolt against these corporate practices.
0: Mm what are tangible ways do you think that Indigenous and non-Indigenous people can support? um, Because I know it takes many forms, like some people may uh, sign a petition or some people may go and protest. What do you think is the most tangible ways for Indigenous and non-Indigenous people to support this movement of our collective healing and liberation for Mother Earth and for us as humans in general?
1: Okay, well, that's that's sort of like I see it as kind of Well, they are connected and they're the same, but they're also separate. Mm -hmm. So, um, one of the most important things that I think that I can do as a person is that I can, um, learn my language, that Mm -hmm. I can learn my practices of being on the land in sustainable ways, that I can learn my lands in the sense of learn the waters that are in my lands and I can, um mind you, I don't live in my territory, so it's a little bit difficult for me, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I can in- I can create or help support others um, to do the same. So um, when we know our waters and know our lands, like the back of our hands, the way our ancestors did, we're more likely to understand them in a way that will lead to their protection. So their whole goal, the whole colonial system goal of removing Indigenous people from their lands was to have unfettered access to the resources and get rid of the problem, which was us. So the more that we go back out onto our lands and and be there, present in our lands, the more that we are able to understand them in a way that, that, that motivates us to stand up and protect them. Mm. And another thing, not to say that people can't from their urban places, because they certainly can mm. and they do, right? Mm-hmm. But... Um, Then there's also like learning our languages, revitalizing our birthing practices, um, bringing birthing back home, you know, so that Children's Aid can't come into the hospitals and take our babies, uh, you know, from from moms as newborns. So it's it's setting up it's in knowing our own laws. So that mm. when we embed our, our lands and our places and enforce our own laws and our own jurisdiction onto our lands, then that is probably the strongest thing that we can do, you know, mm. is is don't turn towards the, I mean, you know, there, it is necessary to deal with the government. It is necessary to deal with uh, the, the governments and uh, mm. and corporations in a certain way, it, But but at the same time, a number of people need to turn their backs on that and move towards building. So there's there's the necessary actions of tearing down, there's the necessary actions of holding space, and there's the next necessary actions of revitalizing and building. And all of those are part and parcel of the same thing. So it's not a matter of making a choice between one or the other. So like you can't say tearing the statues down is bad. And then, right. you know, like, and, and that because that is a necessary action. We need to get mm-hmm. rid of these colonial systems and representations of the violence that happened to us if we want a new country. And the, the other thing is that, but then at the same time, we do need to build relationships. We have mm-hmm. to build relationships with, with the people, everyone that is here, whether it's newcomers or whether it's old comers, you know, or whether, yeah. you know, like we have to make relationships. We have to have a good relationship with people here. Uh, you know, we, nobody wants war. Nobody wants uh, conflict. Nobody wants suffering. But at the same time, we, we have to assert. And the best way for us to assert is to be strong. And the best way for us to be strong is to make sure our babies are safe, to make sure our mm-hmm. children are being raised within the culture and the lands, and to know their waters, to know their languages, and to be protected from from mm-hmm. all sorts of abuse, p- protected from violence. So, you know, like once we do that, then I think we'll see a di- we'll see a difference, you know?
0: Yeah, I love how, I love how you put it all together like it's interconnected because I think even when I look at certain things my own biases or my judgments is like I don't think you should be doing that because that's dismantling or destruction or you know all those negative taglines but what you're saying is like in order to birth a new way of being we do have to dismantle these things and why do we have colonial statues and representation existing on our lands to this day when they've done so much harm and it's like what are we upholding individually but also as a country Like, why are we still upholding these statues and... These things that have caused Indigenous communities so much trauma and harm, but also for ourselves. So yeah, I love how you bring the interconnectedness even to what's happening on right now. Because like when I look at interconnectedness, I usually think of like plants and the world around me and like animals, but it's it's everything. And it brings me to this idea of like decolonization. And so in your mind's eye, would you, how would you define decolonization and is it even impossible to decolonize a society that is so embedded with colonialism.
1: Um
0: so one of the biggest
1: failures of the Canadian state is that they have failed to educate their own people on on indigenous people in a in a way mm. that is that is the way that we see ourselves. So they they have really failed Canadians. And so each generation so now I'm I'm 54, and I'm starting to watch the same things be said. Now it's like it's like I feel like I'm in some kind of Groundhog Day movie where it's like I wake up and it's the same day, you know, like every day. And it's it feels like it feels like we're watching, you know, the same. The, every generation meets the new generation of Canadians, and like we have Indigenous generation yeah. meets the Canadian generation, and it's the same thing over and over again. And it just feels like Canadians are not being taught the truth. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate the work that's being done with the, you know, with trying to um, do the recommendations of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I appreciate the work that's being done where people are going into schools. I appreciate all those bridges being built and they're necessary. And I, but I always feel like we have to like, come on, come on, Canadians, catch on. Yeah, You know, we are like 30 years ahead of you in the sense that we have lived this experience and so we don't want to we always have to go back to like Indigenous Studies 101 with them like the mm-hmm. like the base level like Indigenous people are Métis First Nations and Inuit people Indigenous yeah. communities are you know and we, we're like we're like at base one all the time and I want to get past that base one and then get into, like, how do we return crown lands into Indigenous jurisdiction? How do we get Indigenous languages to be official languages? How do we, you know, because we can do whatever we want. So, meaning that human beings are incredible. We are incredible as Mm -hmm. a species. We can be kind and compassionate. We can change things. We can create a future that we want. So, Mm -hmm. to say that we can't, is just saying is like is like it makes me go crazy because it's like we absolutely can, the same way Mumalak told said that the, that the Department of Justice head can call an independent prosecutor, can create an independent prosecutor to investigate the crimes of the perpetrators and pedophiles who are still alive and walking free. We can mm-hmm. we can do things, uh, and so I I want I want to see uh, a. A Canada that has Indigenous jurisdiction over Indigenous lands, that has our languages thriving, and has our babies Mm. protected, and where there's a society where there's no longer the the violence and racism uh, directed towards Indigenous people that is within every single aspect of Canada. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to do it? It is possible. Is it going to be near impossible? (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be near impossible. So back to your question about decolonization. Is it possible? Uh, as long as we don't try and mix up the words between decolonization and modernization, because I think mm. sometimes people mix those up and they say, well, if you want decolonization, you have to go back to living in blah, blah, blah. You know, that's yeah. just bullshit racism. Yeah, yeah. So like we can have modernization and decolonization. I do, I do believe it's possible.
0: Yeah, I love that you bring that up. You've hit so many, so many points that I have even been thinking because when I go into these interviews, I was just saying to my friend, I was like, I cannot wait to the day till I do not have to speak about history over and over and over again. Like history is important. It's the foundation. But at what point are we going to yeah, move on to the next conversation of how we're going to fix and heal heal these things. Um, so I love that you bring that up because I think that's important. And it's also like, when are Canadians going to take their power back and start doing that? There's so much education online and there's so much things that you can research. There's so many Indigenous voices already doing the work. How, like you said, it's been done before my generation and it's still like, at what point are we going to start to... Uh, work together. Honestly, I think that's the part that's also missing because I I see a lot of my friends voice these things, but it's like, it almost feels like there's so much performative activism out there, whether you're a part of the government or whether you're a part of a corporation. It's like, I think people fail to recognize that in order for us to be um, in a reciprocal relationship, you may have to give up some of that power or some of that privilege or some of that land uh, back to Indigenous people and back to Indigenous hands. And so I think a lot of the time that's the part that's missing is like, this can't be done just with Indigenous people. Like, it's going to take non-Indigenous people to start helping and to start moving forward. And so I think there's this idea of Indigenous futurism. And so I think you kind of explained it already of what you hope to see. But if you could describe Indigenous futurism, what you hope for in the future, uh, what does that look like?
1: Uh, It looks like everything restored that they tried to kill.
0: Yeah. Mm. So
1: Indigenous laws being the laws of the land. It means mm-hmm. Indigenous languages being f- spoken as first languages in the communities again, in every in every Indigenous community, that Indigenous languages are the ones that the babies are hearing first and being raised in first. It means um, birthing back in the communities. Um, it mm. means... Um, control over our own justice system. It means control. It means obviously all the things like less uh, less or zero incarceration, defunding police, it means no more violence from police, it means no more missing and murdered Indigenous women. Of course, it means those things. But the, but it, for the hopeful part for me is seeing how people are revitalizing and reclaiming and reasserting themselves um, in this mm-hmm. kind of unknown, you know, unknown sort of zones. Because there's so much that, like a lot of people, like myself, um, were were not we weren't able to be raised in a household with the language. So it mm-hmm. means that like we have to piece it together. Um, for people who were not raised seeing births happen in their community, but they want to see that happen. they're going to have to piece that together. you know so it, it means relying on our ceremonial people and our elders and our our people who do who go out and, and fast for visions and 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 starting to really gain those strengths again um, to rely on our our spiritual selves and rely on those things. So the future looks, uh does it look bright in some sense it does uh does it look really scary in some sense it does but but i think that i think that we will prevail i think that we will we will uh do the best that we can and we'll do, we'll do it with love in our hearts and i don't have to agree with you and you don't have to agree with me but as long as we stand side by side united respect each other for our our differences of of maybe our positions and and just say i respect your choices i respect your decisions to do it the way that you see best for you and and i and i would want the same respect for me mm-hmm. and and we can be united in that sense and then together we all have to like stop corporations from destroying the earth so that that's the big one yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So like like we we can as indigenous nations and communities reclaim and do do these things but then we also have to join forces with uh, globally to mm-hmm. to to ensure that we all have a future, right? And ensure yeah. that the 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 fish have a future and ensure that the bears have a future and the birds have a future.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I love that you bring up respect cuz I know even within our own communities um as an indigenous woman sometimes I have felt like not like we're so different in our opinions that we can't see eye to eye, but what you're saying is, like, we can be different in our opinions as long as we respect one another. And that's coming back to, like, community and coming back to kinship and reclaiming, like, traditional values in a modern-day sense. And so I'm curious to know, like, has there been any challenges for you as an artist with your career? Maybe some of the challenges you have experienced and then some of your, um, like, successes and one of your favorite highlights? Oh, um, well, the the challenge is, um,
1: for me right now, is not to get caught up in the administration end of things and to be able to say no. So, you know, 30 years ago, um, when I was first starting out, um, I was you know, wasn't able to, I I mean, I sold paintings for like $50, 100 bucks. And I was, you know, I didn't have money to like go to grocery stores and shit. Like I was really, you know, I was struggling. And, um, Mm. and now one of the nice things is to be able to sell my work and be paid what I think is fair, you know, for my work. But the challenge is for me, always to um, find time to paint uh, because there's so many cool things going on. Like, honestly, like, there's so many like really cool panels and mm-hmm. things being organized and projects that are collaborative projects that people want me to be a part of and I want to be a part of them. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm, but I'm only one person. Totally. But, the, the, but the thing that I would say is um, for my advice for people is, you know, go ahead and do what your heart moves you to do in terms mm. of your own art. I've never made art as a commercial thing. I've always made art and thought, if nobody wants to buy it, I'll still hang it on my wall. You know, mm-hmm. I'm happy with just yeah. painting. And it's something that drives me to just do anyway. So do that. But don't get caught up in the administration end. Because you can, like, spend all day answering emails and yeah. inboxes and DMs and all those things. People asking you a million questions. You know, and and at there was one point where I was working fourteen hours a day, and I still couldn't. Wow. I still am, but I mean, I can't tell you when the last time is I took a break, and I've mm. had a couple diagnosed um, exhaustions. What yeah. do they call it? Like um, where you're medically ex- diagnosed as being like a breakdown of exhaustion, burnout, and uh, the burnout or whatever yeah. it is. But I I had to, uh, and I'm I was heading on another one before I kind of took control again. So, working too much, um, you got to ask yourself, why are you working so hard? Mm-hmm. Why are mm-hmm. you not taking time to enjoy your life? You know? Yeah. 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 So, so I, I mean, there's lots of challenges. There's lots of challenges emotionally. There's that, but that's mostly life. I don't think painting yeah. is a challenge for me because it's like, that's like, my joy. Right.
0: Yeah. Did yeah. you go to school for uh, painting? No. I no? didn't go to school oh, for sweet.
1: it. I didn't graduate from high school. I only went as far as grade eleven, and uh, and uh, I it hasn't. I haven't needed to go any further than that, which is fine, I and I don't want to. I want to get back into my languages, my language, and I'm trying really, really hard to reclaim my language, and it's it's taking me forever. It's really a difficult thing
0: yeah I honestly that's something that I've been like meaning to do too is reclaim my language uh plain screen but like the one word for pink is like so long it's like starts with a w and it's like I swear 24 letters long and I just like looked at that <laughs> word I was like you know what maybe not today but <laughs> someday soon uh I, and I feel you on the um the workload people don't understand as artists we have like invoicing we have contracts we have like collaborations we we have emails, and we are only one person. And I feel like a part of the decolonization work is like decolonizing our view of time, and like re like you're saying, like reclaiming our joy and our rest is also an act of decolonization. Um, and so this idea of like matriarchy and kinship and community. When you think of the word matriarch, what does that mean to you? And is are there matriarchs that you are currently inspired by?
1: Oh there are many matriarchs I'm inspired by. I you know, I don't think when I was young I understood what that word meant, but as I get older I do. I'm starting to look at the at the elders, the women and I'm starting mm. to really understand how women are the backbone of every community how we we do the marrying we do the burying we do the birthing we do the like women (laughs) women women are just they they carry so much of the workload and so much of the of the holding together of communities holding together of families and so matriarch to me means the the grandmother or great-grandmother is matriarchs are you know are are the, the decision makers you know like in at Nimkiyashibakon at our camp we we have two really strong grandmas uh one of them is there full time and the other one is there comes and comes and goes but when it comes down to it, they really are the ones who make the decisions. They're not on mm. social media out there saying, oh, I decided this and I did that and I did that, mm. right? They are really behind the scenes. But mm-hmm. anything that goes on, we ask them and they tell us what to do. And without the, without the, you know... Um, strong grandmother decision-making power where we create imbalances in our community. When we have mm. like, for example, in the Métis Nation, we've got a president and we've got a vice president and we've got, you know, like of, of our, of our provincial and international organizations. Well, mm-hmm. where, where is the decision-making power of our elders in that?
0: It, yeah. It's not, it's
1: not there. They have advisory councils for elders But they don't have, you know, the decision making power isn't there. And it's up to each leader to sort of like decide if they're gonna listen to them or not.
0: Mm-hmm. Th- this,
1: this really creates a, a, a division in our communities and it creates it, it sets us up for failure because we're always going to be fighting between what maybe what the matriarchs are saying and, and what the, what the elected leader is saying.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: reestablishing our governance systems, our traditional governance systems is super important and having matriarchy be part of that governance system is very important. So, uh, you know, older women have a lifetime of experience to understand. Um, you know what to do because they've lived. They've lived uh, a lot. They've made a lot. Like me, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, <laughs> and so I've learned. learned a lot. <laughs> I've learned a lot from my mistakes. I've made so many mistakes, <laughs> make your head spin. But you know, like like so, I've learned a lot from my mistakes, and and that that brings if you're if you. Have some introspection into your mistakes and understand Mm. that you made a mistake, and really go back and reflect on your mistakes, then you will understand. Uh, things in a different way. You'll be able to gain some wisdom and knowledge through your mistake making, mm-hmm. and so and and through other watching other people make mistakes. And, yeah. and I mean, it's not all mistakes, right? You you have some successes too, where you where you <laughs> where you realize that was a real success, and and that's where I need to learn from that as well. And then there's there's women like um, well, I look to the grandmothers at the camp, but also Maria Campbell is mm. uh, is my auntie and she's my teacher and my mentor and you know, she is like a leading matriarch of the Metis Nation and I, you know, really just love her so much. And before that some uh the late Josephine Mandaman, um, mm. you know, who really taught everybody how to love and walk for the water and to she always used to say, just do it, you know. She like <laughs> you go to her, you'd say, this is what needs to be done, or this is what I'm thinking of. And she'd say, well, what are you waiting for? Yeah, <laughs> you know? just, do just, <laughs> just do it. Just do it. And then there was before that was another mentor and uh, teacher of mine, Yvonne McRae. Uh, she was a beautiful, gentle um, Nishinaabe woman who just had a very quiet way about her, but a very powerful way. And I look at like Doreen Bernard Bernard, in... Um, Nova Scotia is standing up against the Alton Gas. I look at uh, Winona LaDuke, you know, standing up against the, the Line Three and the and Enbridge. I look at uh, the other matriarchs across the country standing up for water and putting their body on the line. And I just mm-hmm. think, wow, these these women are so strong you
0: know Mm -hmm. there's so much power within our communities Mm -hmm. and i'm constantly inspired by like this podcast when they had me write out the list i swear i gave them a list of 70 people (laughs) to start (laughs) interviewing and they're like shayla we only need six i was like well i have a list (laughs) like there's so many women doing such great and inspiring work within our communities and also coming from like Amazing and, like, also traumatizing stories. You're just, like, you wouldn't know that just because they have such depth and presence and also, like, just humbleness and... Yeah, like, talking about matriarchs lights me up, and, like, it keeps me inspired to keep going to know that there are more women out there that are also doing the same thing. And you brought up a little bit about your Métis ancestry, and so I'm curious to know, like, what does being Métis mean to you? Because I know there are a few listeners out there who have messaged me being like, I don't know how to, like... Like, honor my Métis roots. I don't know what it means to be Métis and that's such a broad question and so I'm curious to know like what does being Métis mean to you?
1: Well I come from a community called Lac Saint Anne um, and my grandma, my grandpa, uh, my dad was born there. My grandma and grandpa both spoke um, Cree and all the people in the community of their generation spoke the language and um they always they didn't identify as Metis though. This mm-hmm. is this is what's interesting, is that they actually identified as Abtikosan or um depending on who they were speaking to, it would it would change, but it was it because the context is the language. Mm-hmm. So how you say who you are in the language is you say you're a human being.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's really hard to take the context of saying you're a human being in the language and then turn it into um, an identity that is separate from being a human being. Right. Uh, right you know, right. like, do you know what I mean? It's really, yeah. I don't, I not separate from being a human being, separate in terms of like now putting it into a colonial context of this is yeah. how I identify in English, mm-hmm. I guess. And so, so you know, Métis as a word Uh, was, was used, um, by Louis Riel in the Red River and all of that, but then it wasn't, it wasn't used everywhere. So there is a lot of discussion that we need to have within our nation about the origins of the word Métis and why did it mm. get pan pan ized yeah. across, across the whole country and how did that happen and what do we do about it. But that's that's a whole ugly political thing that I don't normally get into, yeah. so all I can yeah. say is that me as a Métis person... I say the word Métis, but I also use the word Michif, which we mm-hmm. didn't speak Michif in Lac-Saint-Anne. We spoke Cree, so I'd rather use apatigo because that's what my grandparents said. That's what the people said in the area. And everyone spoke the, the language. So that's just what I'm going to hone in on. It's just my community, my roots, where I come from, my family, what language they spoke, what land they come from, what water they come from. And I don't really want to get into a broader context of the conversation and i think i think by doing that if everybody just did that mm. focus on what waters did your people come from what kinship do you have in the area re- re- disregard whether it's a colonial registration of first nations or non-status indian or Métis and find out who your kin are who are you related to what yeah. languages language or languages did they speak you know and and get to know that get to know that about yourself and about your family and then you'll know where you come from you'll know where you stand and you'll you won't have a need to start arguing with people about who is and who isn't
0: you yeah, know that, yeah. because that's
1: really silly if you know who you are then you know who you are and and we and we need to trust each other too that people know who they are you know, mm-hmm. this whole idea of um, of the whole pretend Indian list and the whole this and the whole that. I mean, yes, there is a problem with fraud happening when people claim ancestry that they don't legitimately have, they don't have at all, right? But then mm-hmm. there's this whole other thing happening uh, separate from that, which is not the same, which is where people are going after other people questioning v- their val- validation and legitimacy based on colonial systems of registration. And so we, totally. we, you know, we got to like, we got to like, put, put, like, just say to hell with that. You know, we've got to have some more trust in each other. We're Mm -hmm. going to be facing immense challenges with climate change and and finding out who is and who isn't Métis is the least of our damn worries.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that you bring that up because I literally just said that the other day. Not the same thing, but like I was like, why are we talking about this? And why are we not talking about everything that's happening in the world right now? Because I feel like everything else is kind of just a distraction and it's deterring us from our end goal, which is like for... (laughs) for humanity right now there's so many things happening so I love that you bring that up and yeah Métis is such an interesting um just topic because like my my mom's Métis and that all comes from my mom's my mom's side but because of colonialism they hid being Métis for like so long and they wouldn't even speak their language because they wanted to be accepted by um the white the white people. So it's so interesting. I'm, I'm also in this process of like, I'm still learning of what it means to be Métis, but I love that you bring like, go to your kin, go to your lineage. Like those are where the answers lie. And so thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm curious to know where your answers lie for the next 2021. What do you have on the horizon? What are there any projects coming up that you're inspired by? Uh, what do you hope for, for your next 2021?
1: I have a lot of projects that I'm working on, um, but you know, what I really want to do, <laughs> what, I, what I really want to do is I just want to quit everything and oh, okay. I just want to go to the camp and I just want to learn the language and I'm taking Cree classes too now, finally. So, yeah. so I'm like my, I live in Nishnabek territory, right? This is Nishinaabe land and I've lived here for, for a long time. And my daughter is part, uh, Machif and part Nishnabé, So, um, so I'm learning, I've been learning Nishinaabemun for a really long time. And I feel like I'm finally getting somewhere. Uh, and I'm really grateful to the generosity of the teachers and people that I've had, like help with that. And one thing Maria told me is she said, you know, if you, if you learn Nishinaabemun, because she speaks Nishinaabemun, and well, her first language is Cree. She speaks Cree, michif, Nishinaabemun, a little bit of Dene. And English. So um, she said, learn nishnabe one because it's the language of the land where you live. Mm. And it's the, so similar to Cree that if you learn it, you'll be able to, it'll open the door into Cree for you in an easier way because you're so f- distant, physically distant from where your language is spoken. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. And it, it, she's been right because now that I'm taking Cree classes, it's like, I can totally see how the language structure is the same. The pronouns are, are the same, the seven of them, plus the, um, you know, like the, the way that the verbs are structured with the preverbs and suffixes and the sentence structure is the same. So, and many of the words are all identical or almost identical. So, mm. like, amik, amisk, makwa, muskwa like it, Mm, like they're they're so similar right so it's it's like it's really easy to once you know one to start to learn the other so it's been thrilling and that's what i want to do that's (laughs) that's that's kind of like what i i just want to sort (laughs) of like retire and just yeah. learn the language, you know? <laughs>
0: well well you're giving me hope and I know what muskwa means. It means bear, right? Yeah. <laughs> I it know sure like does. five words and that's one. But hopefully next time we chat I'll have more under my belt. And I think it's the dialect too that I need to get. Like the dialect with the like different dialects is kind of what confuses me as well. But I mean it's just a matter of time and commitment being committed.
1: Yeah, yeah. It it's easier than you think in terms of the dialects. I was confused by like, okay, there's five Cree dialects, and I'm like, okay, yeah. well, mine mine is Plains Cree. So how? What if I get like somebody teaching you know the the th dialect or the N dialect? Am I going to be like, um, you know, confused? But it really you really aren't. You're able to like, oh yeah, okay, that's I understand that. Sweet. It's really it's really easy. So okay, Nia,
0: Nia, <laughs> Kia, Kia. Nia yeah. Kia. Oh yeah yeah. I think yeah. I remember that Nia okay. Kia. I know Munya. Yeah. <laughs> so just start a Cree dialect course on this podcast. <laughs> and um like a lot of people will say
1: kokum like for grandmother, yeah. right? But yeah, they'll yeah. but they'll say my kokum which is which is basically kokum because it starts with the k mm-hmm. or the g sound is saying your grandmother Mm. So to say, my grandmother, you say no nochum.
0: Oh, but you put it,
1: put a little glutteral h in that, so go noch noch no, yeah, come. and just say it say a little, it a little faster.
0: faster. No, come. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yep. Sweet. So you just said my grandmother. Oh, okay, because so Nia, yeah, starts with N, right? Yeah, so when you're saying me, when you want to say I am doing something or I, my grandmother, or I'm walking or I'm sleeping or whatever, it's going to start with N because mm, you're speaking about me. About yeah, you. if you're saying you are then it's going to start with the K or the G sound because you're saying you are Kia. Ah,
0: interesting. Right?
1: So, <laughs> your, grandmother, <laughs> your grandmother, my grandmother.
0: Sweet. Sweet. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I learned a new word now and a little <laughs> bit of the difference. Uh, thank you so much. How can people support your work moving forward and follow you? Uh, yeah. How can people support you? Um, well, I'm on
1: social media, so I mean, if you want to follow me, you, you know, you can find me on social media, Twitter and uh, Instagram and Facebook. I, I couldn't really get into TikTok; it was consuming my my all my time. So I just oh, it's, yeah. it's, a vor- it's a vortex. You know, you jump in, <laughs> it is. You're gone for four hours. I don't have that kind of time to waste on it. But but it's fun. It's fun for people who enjoy. Um, and uh, in terms of supporting me, I would say support the language camp in your region. So find Mm. out how to create, if you don't want to be involved in a language group and you have the ability to figure out how to support, find out how to support a language nest or community initiative in a way, because Mm. community groups, grassroots community groups, grassroots language initiatives are really uh, underfunded and they struggle to get the funds together so mm. you know support either by if you want to learn your language learn your language if you want to learn birthing practices do that if you want to go out put some plant a tree support the earth plant a tree <laughs> yeah. yeah you know yeah <laughs> like, I, I don't need I don't need the support I'm good I just I just need uh, I just need everyone to work together and not not be so damn uh, cranky on social media. <laughs> everybody's so cranky. Everybody's so, everybody's so like uh, attacking one another. You know, I, I know. just, I can't stand that. Yeah. It's
0: like, just just support each other, you know? That's, that's what yeah, I want to see. Yeah, exactly. Support the earth, support our healing process, and support our journey. I feel like people also fail to recognize, like, destroying and dismantling one another is also a colonial tactic. Like, it's a, the easiest tactic because then we're not getting anything done. We're literally just pulling each other back. Um, but thank you so much. I've learned so much from you. I even learned a couple words from you. Thank you for your time. Uh, make sure to follow Christy Belcourt and support her work and support the world around you. Hi, hi. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Hi, hi. Can ask him. Can ask I am I'm grateful.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I would love your feedback. Follow me on Instagram at shayla 0 at matriarch.movement. And don't forget to subscribe on the pod platform of your choice and review and rate where possible. I'll be back in a week. Hi, hi. Thank you so much for tuning in.